Praise God for his ongoing provision for us to be here together, to gather to worship him. Um, it's a good, rich word that he's given us, this letter of Ephesians. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We continue today in verse 20 through 24. By way of introduction, I want to read to you verse 17 through 19, where we were last week uh, to remind us of our context and set up our focus for our time in the Word this week. Look with me at verse 17 of Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that it is. It's in our language. It's in our possession that we can study your written word. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within each of us who is redeemed by the blood of Christ to bring conviction, to bring understanding, clarity of the truth, of your commands, the goodness of who you are and what you've called us to. We thank you for the ministry of the Apostle Paul, your assignment to him to write these things that we would glean and grow and be uh, motivated for the, the lives you've saved us to live. Lord, I continue to pray for the hearers, that you would give ears to hear and eyes to see for those who have been dead in sin, that today would be a day of great victory because of new birth, salvation for the lost. I pray for real conviction for those listening who do belong to you, that we would not leave the way we came in, we would not go about our days the same way we did before, but there would be real maturity, real transformation in our practices as a result of this day that you've given us, this time that you've given us to study your holy word. We come grateful and ready and excited for what you would have for us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul says, in contrast to the lostness of your former life in sin, that he talked about in verse 17 through 19. In Christ, you are have been brought to new life. Notice that Christ alone is the answer to our lostness. The lostness that Paul described in verse 17 through 19. The answer is not anything that we do on our own. No, salvation is in Christ alone. Paul says, but that is not the way you learned Christ you cannot self-discover. Salvation is in Christ alone. Paul's emphasis in verse 20 and 21 is on the mind of the redeemed in Christ. Those of us who are saved, he's talking about our mind in Christ. And this is fitting because his emphasis in verse 17 through 19 was very much on the mind of the depraved, of those still dead in sin, talking about what we were like when we were enslaved to sin. See with me that the mind here, for those in Christ, have learned Christ. And that that mind, therefore, is no longer futile or darkened. It has been invigorated with light. Why? Because Christ, who is God, is light. He is truth. Those who learn Christ, or more often said, come to know Christ, have had the darkness eradicated as the light of Christ has moved in and filled our lives with truth and love and God-fearing desire. Every person born in sin needs an exposure and education of what is truly life and light and truth and love. It is Christ alone who is these things to us. 
It is the school of Christ we must attend, using Paul's language here. The school of Christ is the only way to graduate from the shackles of sin unto eternal life. There are three verbs Paul uses to describe what it is to be saved, to go through this school of Christ as he deals with the mind. Look with me at this unique way that Paul speaks here. Paul says, number one, that we've learned Christ. He says in verse 20, you have, but that is not the way you learned Christ. It's critical we see this rightly. He's not saying learned about Jesus. No, he's saying we have come to know Jesus. Learned Christ means we learned about Christ, but it's more than that. It it meant a change in us. As I mentioned clearly last week, the demons know a lot about Christ. They know so much that unlike someone who claims to be an atheist and is flippant about him, the demons know so much about Christ that they shudder at his presence. But they're damned. They do not know him personally. When Paul says we've learned Christ, he's speaking about the fact that we have come to know Him, to trust Him, to love Him personally. Let me ask you, who is Jesus to you? I've really been praying for our church in preparation for this sermon, um, especially for uh, our guest who might not be saved, maybe those in the church who have been a part of the church for a long time but are still not saved. Um, And then specifically for our youth, really spoke. A lot of our youth are in first service. Some are here this hour, my own kids included. Because I really want each of them to do business with these things today. Who is Christ to you? I would contend that this is the most important question you'll ever answer. Stop and think about it for a moment. If God the Son, Jesus Christ, put on flesh, lived a perfect life, died in the place of undeserving sinners, rose victoriously from the grave, and now rules on high at the right hand of the Father, interceding for those He saved. If He did that, then you cannot take this question lightly. It is the most important thing you'll ever do business with. Who is Jesus to you? Your answer to that question not only affects all of this life, but all of your eternal life to come. Jesus asked that question to the disciples. We see in Mark 8, 27 through 29, he says, Who do people say that I am? And they floundered and flipped and flopped. They told him, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. Others say, you're one of the prophets. Verse 29, he asked them, Who do you say I am? Some think this. Some think that. But that's not what he asked. In the original Greek, the verse emphasizes the word you. Jesus is cutting to the chase. There is no room for speculation. He's not looking for generalities. He's not looking for the textbook answer. There's no hiding behind what other people would say. Kids, we're not looking for what your parents' answer would be. What is your answer? It's a direct personal question who is Jesus Christ to you have you truly learned Christ come to know him you don't just know about him you know him you know him personally you've come not only to believe in him but to trust him with your entire life So much so that you now wake up and you live for Him in all you do. This is Paul's point. You no longer need to walk in your former ways, as discussed in verse 17-19, through because you now know 
Jesus. You've learned him. What a gift, church. What a total overhaul to our mind, our spirit, our bodies. Thank you, Lord. Look with me at the second verb. Paul says the second layer that we have heard about him. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him. The word about here is really English translation additive. The better translation of the original Greek is that you have heard him. Meaning you've heard his words. This means you have not just heard with your physical ears, but God has given you spiritual ears to hear and understand his truths. Understand, nobody has faith in God, nobody has life in Christ without first hearing spiritually. God's word is clear, Romans 10, 14. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There are many people maybe in this room included, who have heard the gospel with their physical ears, but they do not believe. In other words, they've not been given spiritual ears to hear it. Hebrews 4.2, For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened, or those who heard Some are given ears to hear, they hear and they believe. Some are not given ears to hear, they hear physically, they don't hear spiritually, they don't believe. The same gospel is preached, the same gospel is heard physically. Some were given spiritual ears to hear it, others were not. Those who are in their sin who do not hear it spiritually, do not repent and believe in Jesus. This points out the essential sovereign work of God to unstop our spiritually deaf ears for those of us in sin. That we would hear the good news, count it as good news, trust Jesus with our lives. Jesus told a parable in Mark 4 about different kinds of soil representing different kinds of hearing of the gospel. It's a passage that's been commonly mispreached and turned into an object lesson of varying application. P- Jesus' point, clearly within the context of the Scripture, is that it's about hearing. It's about His sovereignty that some will hear and some will not. He says in Mark 4.9, He who hears, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who God gives ears to hear, will hear. This is the sovereign work of God to open spiritually deaf ears, to hear the good news of Jesus so that they would truly repent from sin and trust Jesus alone for new life. Jesus said in John 3.6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There is a spiritual hearing the Lord may give us. So, I ask you, have you heard Jesus In other words, has God given you spiritual ears to hear and believe in Christ alone? If this is true, you must no longer walk in the ways of the world. We must hear Jesus, know Him, and follow Him. What does Jesus say about His people, His sheep? John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Make it personal for you today. Are you truly following Jesus? Or are you just doing what you think you're supposed to do because you think it's right? Or are you doing the things of God because you are convicted in your hearing of His Word that it is His perfect will and way for you. Religion will not do. We need to know Jesus. 
We need to hear with spiritual clarity the good news and be motivated by it. When we talk about hearing Jesus, just a quick clarity. Because the Word of God, the canon of the Holy Scriptures is finished, we're not looking to audibly hear Jesus. We're talking about hearing spiritually His Word, the Gospel testimony. That You would hear it. It would be good news to you. You would trust in it. Third, Paul says the third layer is that we were taught in Him. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. This means the true gospel was shared with you. You sat under someone's preaching or you heard from a brother or sister in Christ their testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I say true in both of those examples because there are many false gospels out there by which if you believe in a false gospel, you have false faith and therefore ongoing separation from God. No, there is one truth. There is one Christ. Christ alone must be taught. As Paul says here, the truth is is in Jesus. John Stott once said, when Christ is at once the subject, the object, and the environment of moral instruction being given, we may have confidence that it is truly Christian. For the truth is in Jesus. There needs to be a hearing that looks beyond the fact that the the door might have said Christian church, the person might be wearing a cross, Is it the truth of God? Is it Christ alone being preached? The gospel according to Holy Scripture alone. There are many manipulations, many false religions that speak false gospels. We must hear the true gospel to believe in Christ who is the truth. It is Jesus' perfect sinless life His substitutional sacrificial death and His victorious resurrection from the grave that must be taught and trusted in. Sinners are only saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, from the eternal wrath they deserved. And they are reconciled to an eternally secure relationship with God. Only when one goes through the God-ordained, God-empowered school of Christ, they're saved and set free. The true gospel was taught God's sovereignty gave you ears to hear, and you not only know about Jesus, you now know Him. You've trusted yourself to Him. Church, it's the power of Christ to save. It's the gift of God's grace that we celebrate in these things. This is what God has done to save us and set us free, so that we can do what honors Him. With this glorious clarity now, Having learned Christ alone, Paul moves to the imperative command. Verse 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Let's walk through this verse together. Paul is clear in the command that we are to put off or to put away the old self that's dead in sin. We're to crucify the flesh, Scripture says. Kill the sin. Turn away from the temptations of this life. Paul's really honing in on the vital practice that we must know and now live out until we're in glory. That there is a real daily practice that we who belong to Jesus must understand it and put it to work daily. Put off the old self, your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The former life is corrupt. It's full of deceitful, lying, manipulating desires, fleshly desires. This is our condition outside of Christ. When all we knew was sin, we were in sin, all we knew was sin, nothing we did was to the glory of God. Over a decade ago, I used Tupperware to help make this point. And so I thought it would be helpful to bring it back 
today. I asked Jason to bless us and climb into the storage and find my Tupperware from a decade ago, and he blessed us. And so, we use a visual illustration today. This Tupperware, not particularly endorsing any particular type of Tupperware. Gentlemen, thank you for your assistance. This particular one is you. Have I made that clear? You, right there. I didn't know exactly who would be here. I didn't put your name on it. You get the point. This is you. Represents you. Because of our imputed sin, original sin, Adam's sin, Adam who was our federal head of mankind who chose sin because of the fall of mankind, the corruption of mankind, we have original sin we have imputed sin before we've done anything we are conceived scripture says a sinner while we look at a baby and say look at this little innocent baby and that might be true because that baby hasn't practiced a lot of sin yet that is still a corrupt wicked sinner why because of scripture's clear teaching that we are born with sin in each one of us because of our imputed sin so our state in birth you sin is in you i don't care how much mommy and daddy served and volunteered time and did good things your conception is one in sin sin is in you corruption it's the reality of our nature We have confirmed that state. We've confirmed our lostness in the fact that every day since your birth, we have chosen to practice, participate in sin. So not only is sin in you, but you... Bear with me for a moment. But you are in sin. Sin is in you, and you are in sin. This is not good. What does this mean? Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. We earn death because of our sin. The holy God's righteous judgment on guilty sinners is death. And so, because sin is in us and we are in sin, we are spiritually dead, separated from that which is life, which is Christ, which is life with God. Sin's in us, we are in sin, therefore we are in death. What does this mean for us? It means that we are separated from the Holy God. He does not fellowship with or draw near guilty sinners. To do so would mean that he's not holy. He upholds his holiness by separating from us those who are full of sin, wicked and condemned, corrupt in our minds and our thinking and our actions, all that we've studied in the weeks leading up. This church is our former identity. I want you to see in this illustration how consuming it is. Through and through, sin is in you. You are in sin and therefore you are in death. You are without power. You are without will to see and savor God. You might, with your mind and intellect, know about God, but you will not choose Him. You will not honor Him. All you do is sin. Even if you volunteer a lot, even if you go on to earn a Nobel Peace Prize because you solve some kind of horizontal issue of mankind, your spiritual state is still dead in sin. Steve made an important point on Wednesday in our midweek teaching um, that those dead in sin, this is all they know. 
This is how they walk. And so we need to have a right view of those in our lives that are in this state. They do not know Christ. They're not saved by Christ. This includes parents, our children. That you need to have a right view that your child, who's apart from Christ, is not truly saved and given their lives to Christ, is wretched and corrupt in sin. So that you have a right view of them. So that you don't think of them in a way that they're not because you love them, because they come to church with you. Why is this important? Because as they fail and falter and lie and stumble, (laughs) that you would see that that's their sin. You would help them see that that's their sin. Now this doesn't mean we don't parent them, that we don't discipline them, shape them. It's all the more reason, church, why we need to be that much more diligent in raising them in the truths of God. For what they need more than anything, what they need more than practice on the field to earn their scholarship, what they need more than great grades to go become a a third degree doctor, they need life outside of sin. And you've been given 18 years to pour into them let's not waste those years let's make the most of those years and so if the opportunities before them mean a decreasing of spiritual input if your opportunities before you mean a decreasing in spiritually inputting into them then let's say no to those things to prioritize these things trusting all the way that salvation belongs to the lord that in no way do you earn their salvation by your obedience to that And in no way is it, at the end of the day, on you if you squandered it. Why? Salvation belongs to the Lord. God is sovereign. But let us have a right view of the condition of those outside of Christ as they are dead in sin. This should also impact the way we interact with the world. So when you see someone on your street or out in the community or on TV acting a fool, doing wicked things you would see rightly their separation from the Holy God, their need for Jesus, their lostness and sin. So you wouldn't morally come over the top of them and have these expectations that they would perform in a God-honoring way when they're dead in sin. That the gospel perspective of this would affect how we would have patience, we would have understanding. Does sin and wickedness should it, uh, should it bother us in the sense that it, God is not honored? Absolutely. More than it probably does. But should it upset us in a way that we're undone by it? No. So when you see the news or people doing the world's fleshly sinful agenda, we need to be able to sit back as Christians and go, that's the world being the world. Okay. Let's not attribute America to somehow being holy in and of itself. No. It's run in different seasons by corrupt people under corrupt agendas. Those who belong to Christ are Christ. will honor the Lord. Those who won't, won't. We need to have a right view of this. But the good news is that for all those who have trusted Christ for salvation... This is your former identity. Paul is saying this is who you were. Don't walk in this way anymore. Don't live out of this anymore. Paul is clear in verse 20 and 21. You have learned Christ. You have been given eyes to see and ears to hear. You've come to know Christ. You have trusted Christ with your life. Jesus is your Savior and Lord. Listen, church, again to what he said in chapter 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived for the passions of our flesh, Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath, righteous wrath, earning death like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. <laughs> 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? What does this mean? Brother, will you go get my water on the back of that little sub wall real quick? Thank you. It means that God, by His grace, we did not earn this. We did nothing to ask for it. By His grace. Thank you. Took us out of sin took sin out of us. He put it on Himself. He paid for it. And what did He do? He put Himself in us. We who are in Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And better than that, He put us in him. Christian, see the fullness of your new identity in Christ. Christ in you and you in Christ. Forgiven of your sin. No longer enslaved to your sin. No longer bound by it. The power of God now at work in and through you. And what does this mean? It means now a holy God looks upon us And he sees the righteousness of Christ. He looks within us and he sees the perfection of Christ. He doesn't see our sin. Why? Because it was paid for. It was finished by Jesus alone. We're made new. A new creation. He now looks upon us and calls us son and daughter. We are adopted into his family to eternally enjoy him and walk with him and know him. To know that which is life. Born again from death to life. Amen? Amen. See it clearly. See it fully. See the layers. So that when Paul now is interacting and writing to Christians, and he says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through and through. See See what he's doing here. Excuse me. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. See the corruption of your flesh, of your sin, the deceitfulness of your fleshly desires, the selfishness of those things. James says it well, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Notice that the lure, the enticement, is not first and foremost from the outside. It's when we allow our flesh to go to work. Scripture is clear that although saved in Christ, belonged, forgiven, cannot be undone, cannot be removed, until put into glory, until glorified, we are still at war with our flesh The fruit of the Spirit is at war with the work of the flesh. It's a daily thing. Which is why we're given texts like this today. That we would put off the old self. Not get dressed in these things. But get dressed in who we are in Christ. The the writer of Hebrews agrees. At the importance of making war with our flesh every day. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another every day. How often should we do that? Every day. Just in case you don't understand what that means, as long as it's called today. Is today called today? Yep. Should we exhort each other? Yes. Christian, don't put off the exhortation of each other. This is a great gift. Why should we do this? Why should we want this? Why should we practice this? So that we may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
Sin is deceitful, church. It's, it, it's manipulating, it's, it's, it's twisted, it lies, it deceives. We must see it rightly and fully that we don't play with it, that you don't let it stay near. You don't just tap it on the head and say, go to the corner. We must do serious business with it every day. Do serious business with what Jesus is saying here today. Put it off and put it on. To help us with this, let's see a similar exhortation that he gives to the church in Colossae. Turn, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and let's look at what he says in verse 5. Paul's writing to another body of believers. This is clearly something we need still today, as he wrote this kind of exhortation to all the churches. Colossians 3, put to death, therefore... What is earthly in you? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. These are strong words, church. Let me say, putting off of the old self is not something we do in relationship to salvation. We're not talking so that you can be saved. You can't do that. You needed God to do that. You needed God to reach into your deaf ears, blind eyes, stony heart, and invigorate you with the spiritual life so that when you heard the gospel preached, you believed it, you trusted it, and by faith you're saved. God's work in salvation. What we're talking about is those who are saved should practice the putting to death whatever is earthly in us. That's that recognizing the battle within, recognizing that the, the flesh is knocking at the door, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. In other words, pile it up and burn it. Don't tap it on the head and send it to the corner. Put it in a box and sink it to the bottom of the ocean. Mortify it. Don't kind of address it. Don't keep it near. Don't store it away for another day. Swiftly and succinctly address it, drag it into the light, and lop its head off. Galatians 5.24 Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's been crucified, and we are to crucify it, taking up our cross daily. Some of you are newer Christians, and so this is new to you, but we love you enough that you would see that while the gospel says come as you are, come wicked, come addicted, come guilty, come as you are. Why? Because you need to bring nothing for your salvation. Jesus did it all for you. It also says don't stay that way. Now that you have the power of God, now that you're no longer enslaved to sin, wake up every day and put on Christ. Put off the old self, the old ways, the old desires, the old practices. For some of you who are not new Christians, you've refused to take this seriously enough. You are truly lazy when it comes to a spiritual practice of these things. You may be look to the Scriptures. You may be slow to pray. You may be inviting the church to really walk with you and know you. No, many days you're, you're guilty. I'll just do it on my own. I kind of go about it my own way, my own agenda. I'll get to it when I want. No, no, that is not putting it to death. That is not taking it seriously enough. Colossians 3, 7 and 8, Paul goes on. He says, In these you once walked you were when you were living in them. You're not, you're not living in them anymore. You're not bound in them anymore. He says, But now you must put them all away. Other places we see this taught in Scripture. Romans 6, 1 and 2. Shall we, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Not get serious about the things that need to be cut out, put away, repented of, so that I can all the more show how God's grace is amazing? No. By no means, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Romans 6.6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
Romans 3.12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. How confusing, Christian, is your testimony when much of your life still is in darkness. You are to shed that. That's to be your story of the old man. You put on the armor of light, Colossians 3, 8, and 9, but now you must put them all away. Anger. Christian, there's no room for you to be sinfully angry anymore. You need to make war with that. Are you guilty of that? Is that your testimony? Then you need to drag it in the light. You need to invite in blood-bought brothers and sisters to walk with you. You need to take it most seriously. It's not casual. Wrath, malice, slander. Are you guilty of talking behind people's backs? Telling their stories? Pointing out their sin to others? Telling lies about them? Are you guilty of obscene talk from your mouth? Still, in order to look for a laugh from someone else, you'll tell a joke that does not honor God. You'll entertain things that are are secular, worldly, in the name of fun or laughter that does not honor God. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Church, it is so important we see who we now are in Christ so that you live according to your true identity and standing and not according to the ways of your former self. Now it gets better. God is renewing you in His power. He's sanctifying you, making you more and more holy. Look at verse 23. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Christian, there is a renewal that God is doing in us every day as we live in Christ. A spiritual growing, a maturing. When He says the spirit of your minds, this is an emphasis of the core, the foundation, the motivation of our mind. It's not just talking about what the mind produces, not just the physical or the thoughts, but the base, the foundation, the motivation, the life of the mind. The renewal and transformation that Christ does in us is not just external modifications. He changes the why. He changes what we do from its motivation. It's internal motivations that He changes. Those things of of the former life begin to lose their taste to you. you. You don't even want them anymore like you used to. You used to have to feed on that stuff to get through. You don't need that anymore because you have Christ. It's changing us from the inside out. Paul is clear in other letters. His second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 6. We don't lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Are you guilty lately of over-worrying about the frailty of your physical life? Your body is wasting away every day you're getting older. This is an unchangeable reality. No matter how many vitamins, how much exercise, how much Botox, whatever else you're trying to do, to stay and look a little younger, it's breaking down every day. Every day. Don't lose heart. Although the outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. That's where God is wanting to go to work in and through you. Had an opportunity to take out or run to the beach yesterday with our family and some of the other... Um, junior high families purposeful time together and had a ball and it's great weather and we had enough people to play a little football game on the sand and I know going into this my body doesn't operate like it used to (laughs) and as we approach the field and all of us older guys are thinking about what are these young bucks do I need to make this thing work The young bucks say, how about all the dads play us sons? And we're all prideful enough to go, let's go, bring it on. (laughs) And so we line up. Somehow they ended up with a couple extra kids, but we said, we're still, pride's that we're, fine. Thankfully, we made the first touchdown, and quickly we're out of gas going, when can this thing end? They dropped a few critical balls, otherwise they would have beat us quick and fast. 
we finally made another touchdown, and in my God-given authority and the respect that my brothers have for me, I declared, 14 points, that's the end of the game, we win. (laughs) And every dad, whether he said it or admitted it or not, said, oh, thank you, Pastor, that was a great call. (laughs) My body still hurts like it hasn't in a long time today. We're running on the sand. There's a lot of work. All right. We're getting older. But God is at work in Christ in us. He's renewing us. He's maturing us. Praise God for this. Are you aware of that, Christian? Are you celebrating that? Or are you confounded by the way the world thinks about things? Are you, are you prioritized by the, by the world's agenda for you? Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we practice the renewing of our mind? How do we conform to Christ and no longer to our flesh or the ways of the world? Church, the Word of God is critical for this. How much more time are you getting to, conf- to hear the words and the ways and the priorities of the world because you log so many more hours on TV, on social media, talking with secular people, interacting with temporal things than you do feasting on the Word of God, which is truth, which is light, which is life, to conform your mind to the ways of Christ. We need a steady diet of the Word of God. We need an active participation in the body of Christ. It is not good enough that you're attending. It is good that you're attending faithfully. This should be a priority that you never miss, but only if you're sick, so you bless us not to get the rest of us sick, or only occasionally for vacation or work that takes you on something unexpected. Every other week, the priority of your week is to attend. You would sit under your shepherd's teaching. You would be maturing. You'd be accountable to the body of Christ. But more than that, are you in each other's lives? And don't go to the place where you go, well, yeah, no one's calling me lately. No, no, you're as much a part of this body as they are. Who are you calling? Who are you walking with? Who are you checking in with to your group leaders to be accountable, to be known, that you would be able to continue to be refining and reforming and maturing in your faith, that we could practice the one another's with each other? Paul is clear in this imperative command to put off the old self. And he's clear in verse 24 to put on the new self. Church, look with me. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You can't just get undressed from your former ways. You must dress in something new, something better. A greater affection must take over your heart and your life. Jesus All throughout the New Testament, Christians are instructed to put on Christ. Look with me, Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is why the illustration is helpful. Do you wake up and put on the ways of the flesh or do you put on Christ? Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Colossians 3.12 Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away and the new has come. There should be a decisive change in how we do life and how we wake up and choose our priorities and practice our days. If you are a a new man and work for a new company, why would you wear the clothes of the old company? You used to work at Walmart, and now you work at Target. How foolish do you look that first day when you walk in dressed in your Walmart clothes? Uh, Yes, new boss, Target boss, wearing red head to toe. I I, am here to work for you in my Walmart blue. No, that just doesn't work. How foolish is that testimony as you walk around Target trying to help people who shop at Target and you got Walmart on? They're going to think you're totally lying to them about the stuff you're trying to sell them. 
But this is how foolish it is when we claim Christ, but we get up and we put this stuff on. See what it does to your testimony. How foolish is it if you, if you were transferred from the losing team to the championship team and you show up in the jersey of the losing team, playing the playbook of the losing team. No wonder it's a mess. You're playing the old plays. We need to wake up and put on Christ and, do, and play His plays and do what honors Him. Beloved, see what Christ has done so that you can act accordingly. Romans 6, 6 and 7, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. This is not who you are anymore, Christian. You're not enslaved to sin and death anymore. So why do you wake up and put this stuff on? Why do you wake up and live for these agendas? Why do you wake up and look for your identity or your prize or satisfaction in this stuff? You wake up in Christ. You live for Christ. You grow in Christ And if your child dies, if you lose your job unjustly, if you lose your sight, you're not undone. My identity is not in that stuff anymore. My prize is not that stuff anymore. My, uh, My prize is life with God eternally. My days are for His glory. Romans 6, 12-14 Do not let sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin. Remember we talked about our, our members, our senses, our eyes, our, our, what we watch, our doing, our hands, our touch, our senses, our minds. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. I pray the Holy Spirit's getting really specific with you, brother, sister, showing you what needs to go. It it makes no sense. Why, if porn's been your thing, you, you just won't get rid of the Playboy collection under the bed. Like it's got, it's got some kind of nostalgia. It came from grandpa. Get rid of it. Burn it up. Don't even throw it away that some bum would find it. Torch it. Why, why keep it near? What other idols in your life, what other practices, what other excuses are you making to be near these things? To let these people continue to have influence on you. Listen to today's passage again. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Don't put on the clothes of the old life, of the old identity. What are these things for you, brother, sister? Ladies, are you still caught up in overthinking the way the world perceives your looks to the point where you don't show up to a function because you're not where you think you need to be? Do you see that that's you living in the ways and the thinking of the world? Brothers, are you overthinking your value comes from what you produce in your job and the money you make? That you're down on yourself when that's not working well or in God's sovereignty there's a struggle there? Are you overworking to try to prove something under this agenda? Moms, are you worrying about your kids in such a way that it's consuming you? Like somehow your value or your joy is connected to them? 
and not to Christ? Husbands, are you looking to your wife to make your life just the way you want it? That Christ is not enough? And so you grind that she would have to do everything exactly the way you want it to find joy and happiness? Singles, are, are you maybe not hopping the bars or, to, or touring the, the single websites, but the machinery of your mind is constantly running that you're incomplete because you're not married? You are complete in Christ. Paul said it is good for many of you to not be married and therefore slowed down with the, with the busyness that comes with that. Why? So you can serve Jesus all the more in these short days He gives you until eternity. Marriage is not for, for happiness. It's for gospel testimony. It's an appointment for some. And because of our sin, many days it's not very happy. Are you trying to find your joy, your identity in these things? Are you leaning on drugs to get you through? They're your answer? Are you looking for food to be your satisfaction? It's the only thing you get excited about in the day is that drink or that meal or that snack? Are, are, are you still buying the lie that porn's going to pleasure you? Immediately swallowed by guilt? Realizing that you're only helping to enslave this girl or guy on the other end of the thing you're watching? Christ must be enough. Christ is more than enough. Don't get dressed in the lostness of your sin. Put on Christ. What struggle are you in the middle of that you have still failed to really put on Christ and really be satisfied in the Lord? Instead, you're kind of saying, I've got a lot of Christ, but i still got a big old beef of discontentment, a big old thing of unforgiveness or hurt that I'm not letting the perfection and the work of Christ heal and take me to new places. Church, these clothes over here are corrupt and wretched and wicked. Put on that which is life and light and truth, that which will lead to God honoring. My dear blood-bought family, hear me this morning. We are saved in Christ. We're a new creation set free from the bondage of our former enslavement. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. Paul is teaching the church to wake up and be sure to leave the old and to put on the new. And, and maybe you're thinking, Pastor, you've said it about 150 times in the one sermon. And I'm just going, yeah, because the Lord has ordained that it's here that we would study it and know it and, and be matured in it. That we wouldn't be flipping to go, okay, I get it and let's move on, but then we don't do it. We cannot take this practice lightly. For when we don't put off the old and put on the new, we become grossly susceptible to our flesh and to sin. Do people look at you and see you complete in Christ, in your identity here? Or do they look at you and see this, but they also see the string that you've put over into here? Because there's part of you that goes, this isn't enough. I still, I gotta have a little of this. What, what is that testimony? And, and just in this visual, can you just see how lame that is to, to climb after, to long for any of this? We must hold each other accountable. We must press into each other and into Him in every way and every day, holding fast to His word, renewing our minds. There's another layer here that I think helps. I want you to see this. If you strip off sin, if you take it off, do you realize you're not standing there naked, exposed? Why? Because you're clothed in Christ. Do, I mean, do you really get how significant that is? You need to see this gospel, the work of the cross, 
at work. Why is this such good news? God's wrath, church, is real. Death is real. But so is His grace. In Christ, Christ has done the unthinkable. He hung there naked. Taking on all of what we were due. So that we could be clothed in His righteousness. What what we are called to put off, to not put back on. One of the reasons why we should not do that is because He put it on Himself in our place and it's been paid for. Jesus put on Himself in our place so that we could be clothed in Him instead of in sin. For those of you who are guilty of lying, Jesus put on your deception. For those of you who are guilty of molesting a child, Jesus put on your pedophilia. For those of you who have fornicated, Jesus has put on your perversion. For those of you who stole, Jesus put on your thievery. For those of you who have committed idolatry, He put that on. For those of you who committed adultery, He put on your betrayal. It's been paid for. So why would you go climb in and put that on again? It's been paid for so that you can be clothed in His righteousness. Jesus paid our penalty by taking on our penalty. And as a result, He gives us freedom to no longer have to wear that stuff anymore. You've been forgiven. You don't need to forgive yourself. You need to understand that you've been forgiven by the Holy God. Understand it in all its fullness that it would go to work in you. You would begin to heal. You'd be free. Verse 24, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self is created after the holiness of God. Paul is back to emphasizing our journey in Christ-likeness. Renewal at its peak is godliness. We've taken time to work through God, the call on the redeemed to be holy, so I won't go into great detail there. But here Paul's emphasis. The Lord gives us these days under the sun, not for our retirement, not for our kids' worldly success or joy, not for our vacations, but for our lives lived out in such a way that they point to the holy God who is life, who is worthy of all of our lives. Church, are you putting off the old self and putting on the new self? In Christ every day. So that the transforming power, the renewing power of God is on display in your life. So that what is righteous is held high and not discarded to the corner of the room. We are to be holy as God is holy, and we can only do this in the power of Christ. Stand with me. What a gift this passage is to us, church. Let me recap what we've seen this morning as we prepare to respond in worship. If you have been given ears to hear the truth, spiritual ears to hear the truth, if you've been rightly taught the truth, if you've come to personally know He who is truth, then you will not walk as you once did, dead and enslaved in sin, futile and darkened in the mind, given to every impurity. No. Instead, live out the truth you've come to know. In your daily fight against temptation and deception of sin, put off the old self and its corrupt, deceitful desires. Grow in the renewal of your mind and put on the new self in Christ in all of His holiness that you would mature in holiness. Amen? May God go to work in us through and through. For His glory. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for this time together. This wonderful gathering. An opportunity to study Your Holy Word. To see all that You have done and all that You are doing. To learn Your truths. To be encouraged and challenged and motivated by them. I pray, Lord, that we would be hearers. Not hearers only, but doers. 
I pray that there would be real motivation to climb into more time in your word this week and in prayer, that we would speak with one another the things that you're doing in our lives, that there would be real maturing and real changes that bears real fruit. We could look back on September 20th, 2020, and see that God did an amazing thing in us that day. A great signpost, a great turn in our life in Christ. For those who came in dead in sin, to be your sovereign will to bring life in Christ. We praise you for your grace, for what you've put on in our place that we could put on Christ. We worship you for the work you did on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray.